uh, what's, what's the word there? Reputation? Yes. And he even says that. He even says that to me. You're trying to ruin my reputation. And I went, so that's all you think about? You've watched me for nine years suffer. You've watched me decline. You've seen the rashes. You've seen the dysfunction. And all you care about is your reputation. And it ended up being where Richard basically said, good luck trying to convince the public, nobody's gonna believe you. And in four years time, I've lost almost every friend I've had. My family turned on me. I don't have anybody to work on me. I'm stuck. You didn't just screw up somebody's dental work. You screwed up my entire life. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson podcast host for Medical Error Interviews. In this episode, I interview Deanne Merchant. From early in her childhood, Deanne dreamed of sharing her voice and music with others. But Deanne grew up in a home of neglect and abuse. Neglect that would cause her to lose practically all of her teeth by the age of 16. As an adult, Deanne's passion for music was only defeated by her lack of a toothy smile. She hid from the world. But Deanne was determined to share her love for music, and she remortgaged her house in order to pay for the dental implants that would physically allow her to sing and emotionally free her to perform in public. Deanne was fulfilling her lifelong dream and sharing her music on stage. She was the happiest she had ever been in her life. But then her denture started to fail and the nightmare of losing her ability to sing and confidence to appear in public vanished. That loss was compounded by two things, toxic poisoning as the metals in her mouth leaked into her system, 
and a dental industry without oversight or accountability. If you would like to support the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or any of the other podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. If you've been affected by a medical error or are living with a chronic illness and need the support of an experienced counselor, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Deanne. And keep in mind that some people may be triggered by Deanne's experience with the dental industry. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in the state of Massachusetts. Um, my childhood was less than stellar. I am a um, abuse and neglect survivor. And why, why that is so important within my life is the neglect and the abuse caused me to lose my teeth at 16. And the, you know, the later abuse, the professional abuse kind of came back and bit me. But yeah, I had a um, pretty, pretty challenging uh, and dysfunctional family. And it, it, it's like you have to relive things when you go back. And I, I try not to do that. Um, but the best way to kind of explain how I grew up is at three and four years old, I'm sitting in a barroom floor drinking Coke and chips. At six years old, I'm getting um, viciously abused for a undiagnosed uh, physical ailment. At nine, I watched my mother whip a, a, a kitchen knife across the room for her accepting an engagement ring. At 11, I ended up with tuberculosis because my father was dying in the house and she refused to go against his will. And then I lost my teeth at 16. So kind of uh, not the greatest upbringing. Yeah, wow. But always underlining that was this, was this energy inside me that knew I had a voice, knew I had something to offer. And, and that thing is what kept me on the straight and narrow for so long, that ability to be able to drift off somewhere else. Um, and that was music for me, that was singing for me. So these are all things that are kind of intertwined in my story and, and makes it a little difficult with my now cognitive issues to explain things well. Um, but I, I wanted to clarify that, um, you know, we didn't have any medical treatment um, unless you were dying. There was next to no dental treatment. Uh, I ended up with an abscess at 15. And that's when the school finally stepped in and said, look, this, this girl needs major dental work. You know, it has to be addressed. 
unfortunately, by the time she did address it, the teeth were so bad that it was beyond her capability financially to save them. So the best way out was to remove them. And so they removed all but the bottom six. Those were the only ones that were savable. But by doing that at such a young age, where your mouth isn't fully developed, it, it's still developing, that caused my upper jaw to atrophy immediately. So over the years, I became what's known as uh, indentulous, which is toothless. And my bone had atrophied so severely that if you took your index fingers and placed it on the, on the sides of your nose, the flange of your nose, that's where my actual bone ends. So when you smile, like if I were to smile, there's nothing there. All you would see is a, a slight hint of a, of a bar that's still attached to my implants. Wow, that's pretty traumatic thing to have to go through at yep. 16. Yep. It, it literally set the precedence for the rest of my life. The insecurity, the, there's no doubt in my mind, and I can say this honestly now, there's no doubt in my mind, had I, had I been in a, in a loving environment, in a family that accepted me, um, there's no doubt in my mind I would have been on the stage. I would have been singing at six years old. But I didn't have that. And this is a woman that did everything in her power. She only wanted boys. Girls were nothing to her. I was insignificant. I was a burden. So to, I carried that for a lot of years. You know, like I said, it, 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 set, it set me up for my adulthood in a, in a really bad way. Oh, that is pretty horrible to have to experience as a child. How did uh, the dental problems as a teenager, if at all, impact your singing? Um, it hit me. It made me hide. This is your instrument. This is what you need to sing. And my, the embarrassment and the pain of knowing that I would be judged. You know, I wouldn't be able to effectively do my craft as I wanted because I'm inhibited. So um, any singer knows, you know, you need this. You need your teeth, you need your saliva, you need every part of your mouth functioning to be able to do your singing. And that was inhibited right from the get-go. And as I look back, it's almost like she knew how much the music was in me. And it's like she made it her sole purpose that I would never achieve that. And sad as it sounds, that is the honest to God truth. That's, that's my assessment in retrospect, looking back. All right. Wow, that, that's absolutely horrific, Deanne. Uh, so here you are at 16 going through this big dental crisis. Yep. And what happened in your life? The, um, we didn't get the work complete. Uh, something happened. She couldn't finish paying. Um, I never got the bottoms. So I basically had a denture and six front teeth. And through the years of using your back, back 
to chew, your molars to chew, and instead I was using my, my front. And in effect, what I did is I, I ended up breaking this bone down so badly that I didn't have bone to put implants in. So that's what I mean about the atrophy. When, when your mouth isn't even done growing, and what you have to remember is your teeth stimulate your jawbone. When you remove those teeth, the body says, well, there's nothing left there. We, we don't need to send any, any blood or blood supply. Or, and what that does is that creates that jawbone. It instantly puts it into atrophy. And if you have a denture that's not fitting right, um, if you're not being checked you know, every so often by your, your dental professional, um, it, it can cause more wear and tear, and that's exactly what it did to me. So, how long was that process? Twenty-seven years. Okay. So, uh, folks who aren't seeing you, approximately, how old are you? I'm going to be fifty-eight this month, the end of this month. Okay, so just over thirty years since started to go. Did I do the math right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, and so in your journey along this path, what happened next? I um, ended up divorced. I got married, um, which was probably the worst thing I could do because I, I, I was lost. I was totally lost as a teenager. I had no life skills. I had no... I was isolated from everybody. I grew up alone. So, um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of uh, bad decisions. And then I met my husband, my second husband. Sorry, and just going back to the first marriage, how old were you when you got married? I was 19. And so how I, I literally had just left my house and was off on my own and I meet the, the first guy that comes along and uh, you know went off and did my thing. Like I said, I, I had no skills, I had no life skills, I had no um, you know to make a good decision. Um, and here's somebody who's giving you love and attention. There you go. So when you grow up for 18 years and all you ever hear is how stupid you are, how ugly you are, don't smile, don't talk, keep your head down, um, use your back because you don't have any brains. 18 years of that really wears on you. And so you get somebody who's, you know, talking the talk and uplifting you and um, yeah, you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna gravitate to that. For sure. How long did the, the good times last with that marriage? Uh, not, not too long. <laughs> I ended up going 10 years and I, um, we ended up having an argument and he literally beat the crap out of me. Broke oh. my nose. Um, I had just got brand new teeth. He snapped teeth off of the denture, um, black eyes, the whole nine yards. And of course, they're always sorry. They'll never do it again. You know, you, you've heard it over and over. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm going, is this what I want my boys to see? Oh, so you had kids what? by that point? Yep, I had three boys. Um, 
do I want my kids to be in the same situation I grew up in? No. And for a whole year, we, we managed to make it work. And then he did it again. And he choked me so much that I saw stars as I was holding my youngest son's hand. And I knew there was no way I was going to make it out of the house trying to take my kids with me. So I ran for my life because he would have killed me. Absolutely would have killed me. Oh, now, that must he, have been so he, difficult. It was. It, it was very hard. Um, you know, you have all this insecurity. And then you're in a situation that you want to get out of. And you really don't have any, any fallback. You know, there, there's nobody to save you. Yeah, your family wasn't going to be supportive. Nope. You made your bed, you lie in it. So, you know, I had to make the best of it. So what happened in the next phase of your life then? You escaped from the abuser? Yep. I ended up uh, meeting another, another nice guy um, who actually changed my life. The person that you see today is a direct result of him. He believed in me. He encouraged me. You know, he gave me all those things that I had missed out on growing up. All that reinforcement, all that, you know, good talk. And when he realized that my heart was really about the music, you know, he, he started encouraging that. But I was still dealing with all the pitfalls of, you know, my mouth being a problem. So into the marriage, five years into the marriage, he sees me struggling. He knows where my heart is. He knows that, you know, this is a golden opportunity for me. And so we look into dental implants. And that was 2001, 2002. Um, started looking into it there wasn't the access to the internet like you have now there wasn't a lot of information about it um i did some asking around within the dental community and the name was dropped um i went to see him and we decided to try and do implants he tried to take bone from my chin so I, I was sliced on the inside, and then he tried to harvest the bone to put up into the upper jaw. Um, unfortunately, he was kind of ill-prepared for my particular case, um, because I'm such a severe case. And it didn't, it didn't happen, and I thought it was going to be out the money that I had paid him. And I went, I got another referral and I went to see that guy um, who was Dr. Ray English, excellent surgeon. And he had told me that trying to do it from the chin was a complete waste of time, that the bone had to be harvested from the hip in order to harvest enough bone to give me support for the implants. Uh, so I spent three days in the hospital. He harvested the bone. Uh, the implants were placed. I have six implants on the top, five implants on the bottom. Uh, what, I, what I had was called an overdenture system. So you have six implants, 
and then on the implants you attach a bar and then on that bar you would put your overdenture on you close the clasps and done so I have all the implants, it's a process. You've, you've, you've got to go back every couple of months. You've got to put healing caps on the whole nine yards. Everything was great. Everything was, it couldn't have been more perfect. You know, I did really well with the surgery. I did really well with the implants. There was no problem. And then I go to the prosthodontist. What kind of a doctor is that? Prosthodontist is somebody who specializes in the bones and structure of the face. Okay. So when you want somebody to rebuild your smile, you really want to see a prosthodontist. And I really try to get people to understand that focus on that specialty. Focus on the, on the person who does one thing and does it well. Um, so that's what Dr. Ray English does. That's all he does is implants. Everything was fine. I go to the prosthodontist, we do the workup, and I get delivery, and right off, I can't get the overdenture on. And he's watching me. And I look to him, to the professional, to say, well, I can't get this on, it's not going on. And, I'm, and he's watching me bite and chew and bite and use my fingers to try and push the thing up. And then finally I get it and it closes, but I have this immediate feeling of a vice grip. Like if you took a belt or, or a piece of rope and I hung it over the bridge of your nose and hung my full body weight on it. That's what my face always feels like. That's what it's been like for 14 years now. Oh, to this day? Yeah, oh yeah. So you're in constant pain. Yeah. Oh my God. I couldn't say pain now, it's more like discomfort because I've lost so much bone and tissue. So it's not as difficult, um, but when I first got it, the, the, the pounding, throbbing pain was, and I, I you have to remember that I'm looking at this like it's my second chance. Like I'm going to be able to do the things that I, I waited my entire life to do. And I was so happy to have a functioning smile that I overlooked it. If he's telling me there's no problem, there must not be a problem. You wanted it so bad. You. I wanted it so bad. I was willing to do anything and everything put up with anything I had to, to have that functioning smile again, to have to be whole, to have my self-esteem. You know, that was paramount to me. So to, to what ended up happening that I didn't realize until nine years later, when I started piecing the puzzle together, is when they designed these, these devices, your implants are designed to carry a certain amount of load. And when, and when you're biting, you know, you, you're, you're putting these constant forces, you know, on your teeth and your jaw, and your teeth actually move 
ever so slightly in your mouth. Implants don't. And what happened was the implants were overload. It's called overload. Um, and I, I have the definition. The um, Actually, I, I can read it to you so that the audience understands, um, you know, what it is. Occlusional overload is the primary cause of biomechanical implant complications, which include fracture and or loosening of the implant fixture and or prosthetic components. It may also disrupt the intricate bond between the implant surface and bone, leading to peri-implant uh, a peri-implant bone loss and eventual implant failure. That's what happened right away. The, what it did was the bar that was on the implants, which was supposed to be put on, actually started to do this. Bend. So every time I put that overdenture in, it flexed the fixed bar that's attached to my implants. Too much pressure on the implants and it caused the bone to start receding right away. You can look on my website on page three and I've documented from 2006, you could plainly see I had a rash. I was complaining about uh, metallic taste, burning, my throat was burning, everything was burning, everything was throbbing. I kept saying, I have a vice grip on my face. Is this right? And he would say, well, it fits. So, you know, again, naively, I did not do my homework. I fully trusted in the professionals that were recommended to me. I totally bought into what he was saying, you know, that um, he didn't know what was wrong, oh, it fits, oh, I, I can't explain this, that, and the other. And the fact that I was going every three months for a cleaning and I was still losing bone and tissue at an alarming rate and nobody said anything, nobody picked up on that. And what I came to learn over the years is there's a pattern. There's a pattern that dentists use. And it's always to turn it around to blame you. One of the great things about my story is you can't debunk it. You can't debunk it because they tell you in their own words what happened. So when you've got a dentist when you're doing this, when you're doing a, a case like mine that is a total reconstruction, you're, you're reconstructing the whole mouth. When you do these impressions, they make a separate jig. There's a jig that has your prosthetics on it. And that jig is, a, is an exact replication of your mouth. Oh, so it's like a model. Model. Not jig model, sorry. Okay. okay. So it's so it's so it's a it's a direct and complete duplication of your mouth. And what we what we found was 
it would fit on the model, but it wouldn't fit in my mouth. Mm. Right there should have been a red flag to the prosthodontist. There was a problem. Totally blew it off. Within a couple of years time, my prosthetic that was supposed to last me 30, 40 years, the rest of my life, started rocking. Started having a problem. It actually started to, it's a three point system. So you have two cylinders and a passive um, kind of little button. And so you would put the overdenture on, it seats, you close the clasp, you're done. You should feel nothing. I kept getting a spring effect, like it was pushing down. And there's a little filament that has to be replaced every so often so that you don't have a problem. And I was having to have it replaced excessively. Still, no answers. Couldn't couldn't tell me anything. Oh, it must be this, it must be that. And the thing I found, the common thread I find in dentistry is again, that, that scapegoat kind of attitude where they know something's wrong, but they're gonna play on your insecurity. You must be clenching, you must be a clencher. Oh, you must be doing this wrong, you must be doing that. It's always back on the patient. And that's why my story is so important because I actually show it was their fault 100%. 100, it's not even debatable. So two things happened in my case. I had a misinstallment, which caused the upper implants to fail. My, my bottom implant is still good, no problem. The lab, owner substituted the biocompatible material with non-precious more problematic material like chromium cobalt so all these stories that you're hearing about knee replacements hip replacements all these people getting sick from the cobalt so you're being poisoned yeah yeah, and I had no clue. So year after year, I complain, they fix something, they try to fix something, they, try, they were, they, what they were doing was appeasing me. You know, trying, trying, placating me, trying to just fix me and get me out. I'm looking at them like, well, they're the professionals. They're, they're telling me there's nothing wrong. It must be me. And so now year after year, I'm getting sicker. I'm going, I'm declining. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm a young woman. I'm, I'm not understanding why. What sort of symptoms were you experiencing? Fatigue, rashes, um, problems with my tattoos. Now I had those tattoos 28 years. I never had a problem. All of a sudden I get dental work and uh, my tattoos are wilting up. Digestive issues to the point that every time you eat, you feel like you're gonna, like you've, you've been poisoned, like you're, you're sick, you gotta lay down. 
I haven't been out to a restaurant in 10 years. I eat once a day. In order for me to eat, I have to smoke marijuana. If I don't smoke, I can't eat. It's just that simple. You need the marijuana to stimulate your appetite. Not only to, not only to stimulate the appetite, but to keep the symptoms down. I literally, when I eat, if I didn't smoke, this is what you would see. The head would, the head would start doing this. I'd stop bobbing. I would start slurring my words. I'd have trouble understanding what you're saying. This is, it's, it's been a 10 year trail of the same, same thing. And the less I eat, the better I feel. So then I happened to come across a doctor named Dr. Kleinhardt from Germany and come to find out that swallowing these poisons 24 seven for 14 years absolutely affects your digestion. You, you, you cannot get away from swallowing this stuff. And there's no, um, it's, it's only now that you're seeing the info coming out on um, cobalt being toxic, nickel, aluminum, you know, all these things. So my case, had it been addressed early on, we might not have been talking right now. Yeah. And, it, and it's so ironic to me it's so ironic to me that these two men both own my music, knew how much the music meant to me, knew this was my second chance, that I was gonna let nothing stop me from, from getting behind that mic. And all along, you knew what you did. All along, you knew what you did. And in 2014, when I, when I was struggling so much and I had been nine years going to doctor after doctor, specialist, this guy, that guy, nobody could figure out what was wrong because nobody knew about metal poisoning. The American medical system doesn't have a lot of info on it. So you're kind of lost with, with trying to find help. And in November of 2014, I was this close. I was giving up. I was going to kill myself. I was done. I'm a burden to everybody. I was losing my ability to sing. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I have also have MS, um, which was diagnosed based on my bladder and bowel issues. So not, not on a spinal tap. Um, I do have lesions in the brain, but it's important to know that I was a heavy Diet Coke drinker and the NutraSweet, sorry, the NutraSweet can actually cause your brain to have lesions. Wow. So, you know, that, that's important to note. So, while they were using the MS as a scapegoat, 
I'm, I'm questioning it because I'm mentioning to my neurologist, look, I've got this going on. That's not related. I've got that going. Well, that's not related. That's a histamine reaction. You know, the hands, the touching metal, um, for no reason, they'll, they'll swell up and get noticeably red, extremely red. And I, I couldn't figure out what all these things had in common. And so this girl said, go see this doctor. I'm, I, I'm telling you, he will not give up until he finds out what's wrong. And I said, do you know how many times I've heard that? Okay, I'll humor you. I go to this guy. He's a, um, a allergist in Providence, Rhode Island. And I bring all my pictures, all my evidence, and he's looking at everything. He's listening to me. He's looking at my hands. He's, and he looked me straight in the eye and said, I've never seen a case like you. Um, I don't know if I can help you. And I, I broke down and I cried because I said, if you can't help me, then there's no point. I can't continue. I can't. And he said, you said all this started after you got the dental work. He said, has anybody tested you for metals? And I said, no. Nobody? Nobody's even thought of it? And I said, no. He says, let's start there. We do a panel, and lo and behold, that cobalt glowed like a nuclear reactor for a couple of weeks after the test. Then I go to Boston to see Dr. Shalak, who happened to be on uh, with the E-Sisters fighting the FDA on the Sure. Okay, uh, I'm not familiar with those names and that. Um, the uh, E-Sisters are the people that brought you The Bleeding Edge, the documentary. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. I think so. Uh, they're the ones that were instrumental in bringing that about. Okay. And I just lost my train of thought of where I was. Uh, so you went to see that doctor? Okay, so I go to see the doctor, Shalak, who happened to be working with the E-Sisters on the Eshaw, and come to find out not only am I allergic to the cobalt, I'm allergic to gold and tin. Guess what my dental work is made up of? So now, the it's confirmed. I go to the lab. I tell them, hey, uh, I think we got a problem here. I think we got a big problem. And I tell him about the cobalt. And of course, he's playing dumb. So he gives me the chemical certificate for one part of my overdenture. You know, and, and keep in mind that I'm not, I'm still clueless as to what's going on. I still haven't connected the dots. So in between finding out about the metals and working with the prosthodontist, I had finally had it with him. We were not on the same page. He was not trying to help me. He was working against me. He had messed up my prosthetic so much that I was having trouble chewing, speaking. I had a lisp. And this went on for like 10 months. And finally, I, when I went to see Richard, 
And he was like, you know, he said, there shouldn't be lisping, there shouldn't be this, there shouldn't be that. So, you know, they're, they're dropping the ball on, on both ends and they're both doing this. They're both pointing at one another. Well, the lab didn't do this and, you know, and then the lab's going, well, you know, he didn't do this and I don't care. I want it fixed. All I want is it fixed. Well, Richard was able to fix the lisping. Who's Richard? Richard is the lab owner. Okay. So I worked directly with the lab owner on this, which is actually illegal. But I was to the point where I, I, I mean, I was just shredding to pieces in frustration because in 2014, um, I opened for John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Wow. And I had this, I had everything in front of me. The door was open. I was getting to walk through it finally, a lifetime of being denied my passion. Here it is right in front of me. And my dental work is taking me out. Now I'm, I've reached the point where, the, where the, it's, it's so dysfunctional, I can't sing. He decides that he's going to put polyurethane, a dental polyurethane, in the prosthetic to fill it to try and stop the rocking. What I didn't realize was the machine that made this, the lie that he told us in 2014 in front of a witness, where he said he was selling these systems hand over fist, he believes in them, they work. He lied. He sold that machine. He no longer had the machine that made my prosthetic. And worse than that, he was the only lab, the only contact number for the manufacturer of this prosthetic, Bago, in the whole United States. I had nobody after him to work on this. So now my frustration is peaking. I've got all my audio evidence. I planned on having a meeting with them, calling them out, going, listen, this is you. This is you telling me in a witness what I was supposed to have and why. And I had brought a friend, another witness to be with me. She was recording it. She's a nurse. And the problem was is she thought that it was going to be easy to kind of tug on their, their strings a little bit to go, hey, look, she's suffering. You know, don't you guys want to do the right thing and, and fix her? And she didn't realize that they had no intention of doing that. Their only concern was with their, uh, what's, what's the word? Their reputation? Yes. And he even says that. He even says that to me. You're trying to ruin my reputation. And I went, so that's all you think about? You've watched me for nine years suffer. You've watched me decline. You've seen the rashes. You've seen the dysfunction. And all you care about is your reputation. And it ended up being where Richard basically said, 
good luck trying to convince the public nobody's going to believe you. And in four years time, I've lost almost every friend I've had. My family turned on me. I don't have anybody to work on me. I'm stuck. You, you didn't just screw up somebody's dental work. You screwed up my entire life. You know, to the point that everything that I had worked so hard for, if you can imagine 50 years inside, 50 years wanting to sing, wanting to step up, wanting to perform. And then you, you, you finally get there and the very thing that was supposed to put you there is the thing that's taking you out. And there's, that's the irony. How could it be, how could lightning strike twice? How could I be born into this, into this orchestrated chaos, you know, where, where I'm, I'm battered and bruised and, and had my, my self-esteem just ripped out. It's like you, you, you take somebody's heart and rip it out and stomp on them. You know, that, that's what she did to me. And to go all those years and to have all that passion and that desire, and then you, you get a chance. And it's right there. And it's so close, you can taste it. And the very thing that was supposed to give that to you is what's now taking it away. And there's not an organization or an agency or anybody that you can go to to help. My AG office, they don't do dental. I submitted my complaint to the board, never heard from them again. I provided video, audio, witness statements. The very fact that he denied me my file, that I have him on audio saying, if you want your file D, ask your attorney to request it. When he knew I couldn't get an attorney, he knew you only have three years in the state of Rhode Island to find fault. I was six years out of that. I called 42 attorneys. Not one would help me. Not one. So you can't go to the AG. You can't go to the Better Business Bureau. You can't go to your, your state board. Your um, congressmen don't care. Where do you go? So now I turn to Boston, to Harvard Dental School. I get an appointment, a phone appointment. Sorry, was what that? sort of year was this? 2015 now? Uh, this was 2017. Okay. 2016 or 17. Uh, might have been 17. And I get this doctor and I explain my situation and I said, I actually got your name from a specialist in England because I gave up calling around in, in um, the United States. I saw that I started contacting everybody. 
And I said, I, I got your name from a, a very prominent prosthodontist in, in England. And she said that, you know, you'd be willing to help me and, you know, you come in and see me. I said, you know, I'm, I'm in a bind, you know, um, the original cost for this was $68,000. We had to remortgage our home for this. And then an additional 6,000 was paid uh, in 2011 because I ended up having problems with the material. And so we replaced it in the hopes that that would alleviate it and come to find out the replacement was even worse. So $74,000 in total and I'm smileless. I'm back to eating baby food. I'm back to struggling to talk to my husband who's 80 years old and has a hearing problem. I'm sick. I'm struggling to eat. I'm struggling to function. I'm a college graduate. And sometimes I'm, I can't even think of what I have to point in order to try and have a conversation with my husband. The only reason you're talking to me right now and I'm, I'm as lucid as I am is because I have to take medication to make me that way. So this is not fun for me. You know, this whole situation was completely preventable. Had the lab owner not decided to put more money in his back pocket and substituted that metal and had the prosthodontist addressed a non-fitting prosthetic right away, again, we would not have, be having this conversation. Wow, something so simple and that should have been done. And what, what really irks me is there's no oversight. In dentistry, they can do anything they want and you're pretty much screwed. They're very difficult to fight. You're not gonna. You're not gonna find anybody who's, and unless you can, it, unless you can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, and most people can't. You don't stand it, and they will take you out. They will sue you. So here I am. I'm. I'm perplexed, because, my self-righteous bone, says. Why do I have to worry about being sued? I proved beyond a shadow of a doubt what you did. Why can I not tell my truth? I can still be sued. The attorney said they might not be able to sue you successfully, but my question is, can you afford to be sued? I cannot. So it kills me. Here I am, I'm the only story in the United States that can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt with audio. And I can't tell my story. I have to live in fear because somebody's reputation is more important than somebody's health. So doing and, this podcast is a risk for you. Yeah. And I would, I, oh my God, how I'd love to name names, Scott. How I'd love to say it's Dr. Such and Such and it's this lab 
But by doing that, I, I open myself to attack. And if all they care about is, is their reputation, you can, you can bet they're going to come after you. Yeah. And so so the, the dental industry is self-policed like the yes. physician? Yes. Even worse than physicians. You've got, you've got people who are jumping into specialties without any real training. They can jump from prosthodontist to periodontist to whatever, whatever happens to be the most uh, financial gain, that's what they go with. So that's what happened with the dental implants. When dental in implants first came out, the ones putting them in were oral surgeons. Then the dentist, the periodontist, the prosthodontist, uh, they all started going, well, hey, if we learn to do this, we can, we can get more income. And so now you started having everybody and their brother taking these courses and some weren't even in-depth courses. They were over the weekend. And then they go out and they don't have to tell you, they don't have to give any information to you about their training. Go look, go take any dental website, go look right now and see, see their qualifications. They're going to tell you what school they went to. They're not going to give you any idea of when they graduated, how long they've been doing this. They're free to deceive you and tell you whatever they want. And they love people who are uneducated. The less you know, the better they like you, the more they want your money. Because when you run into a problem, you're not going to figure it out. And that's what they banked on with me. They thought I'd never figure it out. And in 2013, an attorney, one of the 42 attorneys that I called, when I told him what, what I was suspicious of, that's when he told me, he said, record. And I said, record what? He goes, the conversation. I said, I can't do that. It's not legal. He said, yeah, it is. In the state of Rhode Island, it's legal and admissible in court. He said, and I'm telling you to record. Once I started recording, that's when I started catching them. That's when they started making mistakes. And the biggest mistake Richard made is on that audio, he tells you exactly what he did. He knew the bridge work wasn't right. He knew he substituted those metals. Did he do anything? Did he help me at all? And on page one, the last audio, in the last 20 seconds, you will hear his tech tell you the way that they figure out what metal they're going to use on you is according to the metals market. Whatever the cheapest metal on the market is, that's what you get. So despite his advertisement, which is on page three, that says he uses all titanium for biocompatibility, and he said that in the audio that I, I had all like metals, and the reason that they don't do non-precious because, oh, it's such a nightmare. I know exactly what that nightmare is. I'm living it. I'm living proof of what that nightmare can be. 
and I, I think that I think the most troublesome part for me now I, I have I have this beautiful five-year-old granddaughter who thinks her Nana is the bomb who wants to be a performer who idolizes me and I can't work with her. I can't visit with her. How come? Because I'm sick all the time. Oh. You know, if I leave the house, I have to worry what's gonna come down the road. And do I want my granddaughter to see me like this? Is it fair? Is it fair that we remortgaged our home in good faith and that they're out enjoying the fruits of their labor of their deceitful labor and and, and i don't have that option because you took it away from me how do you how do they live with themselves well you know i i want people to be if you get nothing else out of this podcast be your own advocate do your homework do the due diligence go that extra mile for your health because once it's gone it, it, it's a whole different ballgame i went from being a very active worked out six days a week um rode motorcycle went hiking all these things too i can't get off the couch you know i can change and like that i can be fine one minute and then the next minute start crashing so it's not just a mouth thing you've been disabled oh, no. oh yeah this is this this is poisoning your whole system and it can get in your lungs it gets in your digestive tract. It's in your in your mucus. It's everywhere. And they they think cobalt goes into your organs. You know, I've had doctors tell me that. So this is this is way beyond a dental thing. This is literally poisoning my poisoning my system. And I came across a um I believe it's called steel standing s-t-e-e-l and it was a woman whose mother had a knee replacement and she was a pianist and she noticed that after she had the knee replacement her hands got weak she's having a lot of problems with her hands a lot of the problems i'm having and so once i started on the cobalt and connecting the dots everything kind of fell into place. Why are the tattoos reacting? Because back in the day in the ink, they used iron oxides. They used things like cobalt to make the color blue. So now you've, you've taxed your system. You've put all this junk in my mouth that my immune system has been trying desperately to fight. And now I, I can't fight anything. I'm susceptible to every little thing that comes around. If you cough near me, 
chances are I'm going to get sick if you've got something. I have no way to fight it anymore. So the, um, they think that the poisoning has affected my glands. Uh, my sublingual glands are now stones. They're two little stones in my throat. I no longer make saliva from there. My saliva comes from the other gland. My mouth is chronically, chronically dry. Just the mere fact of, of talking, I mean, you can somewhat hear it in my voice. I'm trying to not um, let you hear that, but I'm struggling. The now being without my prosthetic, trying to eat, I went from having a bite that was, you know, open to now I'm eating like this. So now this, this joint is getting really abused and the clicking and the ear pain and the ringing, there's no end. There's no end. So I have to keep my conversations down. Talking on a phone, the phone has to be away from me, the, the speaker, because when I'm, when I'm trying to talk to somebody, as you're talking to me, my, my ear is clicking. It's, it's making this sound like if I was wrapping my hand against your ear. And with every word you say, it, it, it's irritating. So I have, to, I have to turn things so that I avoid that. There's, there's all these little things that, that people don't take into consideration. Um, and what I, what I like to tell patients now is don't look, don't look for a diagnosis. Do a process of elimination. Make sure you don't have acid reflux. Make sure you don't have any, any digestive problems that would, um, you, you might miss. Make sure you don't have any pre-existing something going on. Um, you know, are you taking a vitamin D? Did you get checked for Sjogren's? You know, all these different, different things. We want to rule these things out rather than look for these exotic diagnoses. Because it really is simple if you just do a process of elimination. You mentioned going to Harvard, and that sounded like it was going to be hopeful. Oh, yeah. So going back to the to the Harvard thing, I was very hopeful. Um, we were going to make an appointment. He told me to call his secretary to make an appointment, uh, even though he had forgotten about the <clears throat> original appointment, phone appointment, which was kind of telling ahead uh, in retrospect, but. Um, so he told me to call the office and to make an appointment, who to ask for. And I call and I get a message. It's, you know, leave a message. I'm such and such. I spoke with Dr. Such and such. He told me to call, come in for an evaluation. I waited a couple days, nothing. I call again. I leave another message. Nothing. Now I'm emailing. They're not even answering my emails. He dropped me like a hot potato. Why? Is, is working on me 
is recognizing a problem, validating there's a problem. Is that what you're afraid of? I then make an appointment. Like I told you, I called all around. Nobody wanted to help me. So now I reach out around the world and I go to Costa Rica. I, I get a dental professional who's also a regular doctor with hospital rights had all the things that I felt were needed in my case. And now it's two and a half months in, we've, we've got everything situated, when I'm gonna have the appointment, what we're gonna look at, da 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 da, da. and all I need is, is the money, to generate the money. So now I stop my GoFunding, and a few months go by and I email and I say, look, it's, it's taken a little longer than I thought, you know, da, 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 and come to find out the girl I was working with was fired. Wow, that's weird. Okay, so she says, will you explain your story again to me? Okay, so I write everything down. And the agreement with the prosthodontist was they were going to allow me to document my story and put it on the website. I was gonna hail them the heroes you know, I was going to promote you to the end of the earth if you could fix me. Well, <laughs> upon doing that, I get an email and it says, uh, we're very sorry, um, but we're not going to be able to help you. But there are plenty of other doctors you can reach out to in Costa Rica. Good luck. Wow. Okay, that's weird. Now I write him back and I go, you know what, after all this interaction, and all the time spent here, I think you owe me um, a reasonable explanation. Well, the guy wrote me and said, how dare I record professionals and go above that and put it out on the internet um, that I was a rotten person for doing that and that they could in no way subject their dental professionals to somebody like me. Well, little did I know, see that doctor never told me, he worked for an American company. He didn't work on his own, he worked for a company. And when they found out that that girl was willing to let me put the story up on my, on my website, that's when they fired her. Mm. So, I really do have to remain a secret, huh? It's really that imperative to hide what you guys do that you can't even help me. And I'll be honest, right before I got the diagnosis, when that, when that doctor was so convinced it was the metals and then confirmed it, I had a hard time. I had a hard time believing it. Can't be. These are ADA approved. Can't be. I, I don't understand. Well, I understand now. They're just labels. They don't mean anything. There's nobody overlooking anything. And so when you can go to any lab, right, and they're going to go according to the metals market, no matter what they uh, advertise and you're clueless 
You don't have a clue that your dental work can actually make you sick. So four years ago, I would have never believed the dental industry was a very destructive, hidden part of healthcare that is in desperate need of some enlightenment. Uh, it, it's literally like uh, Dorothy, you know, in, in the Wizard of Oz, where you know he he's behind the curtain and he's he's running everything, and Toto goes and pulls the curtain back. That's what my story is: pulling the curtain back on an industry that is in desperate need of oversight. It is. It shouldn't be. This guy claimed he's a chemical specialist in school, and he knew the ramifications of mixing metals. And you went ahead and did it anyway because you figured I wasn't smart enough to put two and two together. You figured that nobody would catch on to what you were doing. And that's just one lab, Scott. How many labs across the country are doing this? How many people are out there like me going to specialist after specialist, money out of your pocket, desperate? to find any answer to get your health back and you can't find it. And they start calling you a hypochondriac. Um, you're looking for sympathy. Uh, well, maybe you should have taken care of your teeth when you were younger, you wouldn't have this problem now. You know, this, I, I've suffered so much ignorance and hateful retort. Um, I fell through the cracks as a child. People knew, people knew, and nobody said anything. And here I am, 58 years old, and I'm falling through the cracks again. And, and people know, and nobody's doing anything. The dental board knows they didn't do anything. The AG knows he didn't do anything. My state reps know they didn't do anything. Channel 12 News, oh yeah, we report everything. Just bring it to our attention. Never heard from him. Why? Well, maybe all that, uh, maybe all that advertisement on your, your news website with all the dental professionals and all the medical professionals, they don't do that for free. Those people, those professionals are paying for that advertisement. So they have a vested interest in protecting that. Oh, I see. So what you're saying is uh, that local channel gets uh, advertising fees from the local doctors and dentists, and therefore that sort of is not, not an incentive for them to do any bad news stories about their profession. It's more conflict of interest, wouldn't it be? Sounds like doing so. Yeah. So again, this is more than a dentist. This is more than just removing my smile. This is a health issue. This is something that I have to worry about every day. Am I going to develop cancer? You know, how long am I going to suffer like this? What am I going to do when my implants finally fail? I have nowhere to go. I can't generate the money. I have to pay in full again, if not more, 
to fix this mess that they made. So it, it's it's very hard. It's a really bitter pill to swallow. Okay. Become a, an advocate. You tell me about that. I um. I, I have a very self-righteous bone. I hate injustice. I hate anything that hurts people. And the website, my work started out as just my story. That was the genesis, just telling my story. But then I started coming across people who were having problems dentally. And then I came across a, a girl named Tina, jo Tina Gomes. And she was my first uh, introduction to advocates in, in dentistry. And she's all about um, transparency, where if a dentist has an infraction, he's been reprimanded. The patient has a right to know. Well, 10 years later, she's still arguing that point and hasn't gotten anywhere. You still aren't entitled to know anything. And they do things, I'm, I'm going to use this as an example to, tell, to show you how, how deviant they can be. Not all, not all professionals are like this, but there are quite a few. And I came across this video, and it was a dentist doing a, uh, he was going to surprise his patient with a new smile. So there was no, uh, he, he didn't get his permission. There was no informed consent, nothing. He just goes about, puts this, this, you know, some crowns on and everything. And the guy's so happy. Tears. He's, he's, he's just overjoyed. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I want this guy. I'm, I'm going to put him on my website. What an awesome thing he's doing for people. But something wasn't rubbing me right. Something didn't feel right to me. And so I said, you know what? We'll do a little investigating because that's what scorpions do. We're, we're noted for, for being great investigators. And so I put that skill to work and I found that guy and I found that he was reprimanded by the dental board because he had a little side business along with his dental business selling prescription drugs. So then I went, ah, I get it. Little PR doing the video to divert attention from what really went down. Then I hear him on, there's a, there's a show called Dental Town where this guy interviews dentists, hygienists, the whole nine yards. And it's a video and, I, and I'm watching. And I'm watching the look on the host's face as this guy's saying things. And I'm going, ooh, we're gonna all have to get up on top of a table here pretty soon, it's getting so deep. And the guy asked him, he goes, so how many, how many crowns do you do a month? Oh, I do. X amount of this, and I do so many of that, and I do, you know, 50 implants a month, and just exuberant amounts of things that just aren't realistic. And you could tell 
the guy wasn't buying it. You could tell by the look on his face that he felt uncomfortable. So it's all this smoke and mirrors. It's all this pretend and uh, everything's ADA approved and uh, you know, there's, there's been this study and that study. Well, how come all the studies that are coming out in the last couple of years are all saying, we don't have any research. We need research. We need long-term studies. We don't have them. So all these dental professionals that are out there telling people, potential clients, potential patients, oh, they're good for a lifetime. Um, you know, if you take care of them, they're gonna last a lifetime. Uh, that's not true. If any one aspect of that procedure is not done correctly, this is what you get. And the fact that Galvin, uh, 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 galvanism has been taught in every dental school, it's in every dental book since the 1950s, they're taught about not mixing metals in the mouth, not creating galvanism. FYI, any two dissimilar metals in a liquid medium, AKA your saliva, you're creating current. You are a walking battery. So that was very important in my case that he claimed to create a biocompatible prosthetic um, uh, device. And just because he had the ability to be deceitful, you know, put that extra money in his pocket and put the boots to me. And I, and I have a big problem with that. I have a big problem that we're being told that these things are safe. And, and you've got the FDA release, 2.1 million, not thousand, 2.1 million complaints for failed implants. Wow. Now, all of a sudden, in the last 10 years, peri-implantitis has become a major problem. Why? Does it have something to do with the substandard metals that you're putting in people's mouths? Because there's really, there's really not any long-term studies on this. Tons of, of mice, but not humans. Wow, that's frightening. It's, it's very frightening. I had a case and I was very disappointed in her that she didn't give me a chance to fight it because I would have fought it. Absolutely would have fought it. She goes to a periodontist who's a gum specialist who told her that he does implants all day long. Another one. And something wasn't jiving. I kept telling her, I want the chemical certificate. Tell him you want to see the chemical certificate. He's telling her he doesn't have it. I'm telling her you need to leave that office immediately. Don't sign anything. 
don't give him any more money, leave. Nope, she wanted her money back. She wanted this, that, and the other. So she ends up, they make an agreement in email, mind you, not verbally, in an email, they make an agreement. They're gonna remove one tooth and do no implants. They gave her medication the night before. She takes the medication the day of. Now she's loopy. She doesn't know she's coming or going. He gets her husband to sign on the dotted line for her procedure. She didn't leave that office with no implants and a tooth missing, a, a pulled tooth. She left that office with the tooth that he was supposed to pull and two implants. Why did I want that chemical certificate? Because she's got a pacemaker and she's allergic to aluminum. And I wanted the proof that you were providing a quality implant for this patient. She has no idea what's in her mouth. Wow, so she, so desperate it sounds like that she was willing to take the risk of going to this guy not knowing exactly what he was putting into her mouth. Even though they made an agreement that there would be no implants and a tooth would be pulled, to leave that opposite, that office with the exact opposite of what was agreed. Her husband signing a paper for a procedure, that's illegal. You can't do that. The patient has to sign for that procedure. She wouldn't fight. I'm going call an attorney. You have a case. This is my opportunity to bring this to light, to what people are doing. She wouldn't do it. How come? Too afraid. And, I'm, and that's something I'm not understanding because not only do I have an educational website, I have a group as well, you know, where I try to support other mm. patients of harm. Just while I'm thinking of it, what are, the, and if you want to share, what are the names of your web, website so people can find you and your info? Uh, the, the website is called welcome to, T-O, D-D-S dot com. And that stands for D's Dental Story, not, you know, Dr. Dentistry. It's a pun. Um, I have a dental group, uh, The Deceiving of Dental Patients, where you can come, tell your story, share your story with other like-minded people who are in the same boat. Um, and I have the uh, D's Dental Disaster page. And I, I try to keep things up to date. Every news piece I come across, I post, um, try to raise questions, try to bring awareness. Um, but these people are afraid and they have a reason to be because these professionals can attack you from any angle. And that's what infuriates me about my story because I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to step up and point my finger and go, I got you. I absolutely got you. There's no denying it. And I can't, and that's not right. I shouldn't have to be suffering, lose my best friend, which was my voice. That's what got me through all the bad times. You know, whenever I, whenever I had that insecurity or, or, or was having a bad day, I could sing to myself, I could hum to myself. 
that was my twin. You know, that, that helped me weather so many storms. And to lose that, I might as well be dead now. Is there a place on the internet where folks can listen to you sing? Yes. You can go on soundcloud.com. Uh, look, look up Deanne Merchant. You can find my originals and, and my um, covers. I'm also on uh, Reverb Nation, where I've got just years and years of, of uh, audio. Like I have music from uh, that range from folk to rock to blues. And what was unique about my voice is I could do Whitney Houston in one song and switch it up and be Janis Joplin in the next. Wow. That made me very unique and well-respected. You know, th this was, I only had seven years behind the mic. And I tell the people that I worked with, th those were the best seven years of my entire life. To work with these seasoned professionals, to have their support, to have their respect was so huge for me. It was so uplifting. It, it, was, it was like breaking an armor of, of insecurity. And to be able to step out on a stage and, and have people really enjoy what you brought you know, to the table. Um, so in, in, those seven years, in the seven years that I was, was behind the mic, um, I was able to create my own music. I was able to support a, dog, a rescue charity. I raised over a thousand dollars for my my rescue charity. Um, I have a, I actually have two entries and a very unique website. It's called dustmybroom.nl, and it's a dedicated website to all the renditions of that song by Robert Johnson. So you know that that's huge for me. Um, to have worked with Willie Dixon's granddaughter, you know, on a remake of one of um, one of the famous songs, to have a chance to go out to Chicago, even though I didn't get to go, you know, there, there was still the opportunity there, um, and just just to have that validation that I had something worth listening to, I had something to offer, I really did bring something to the table you know, that could have been there 40 years ago. Yeah, you've experienced loss on every level. Yeah, yep. But I'm also getting that you are a fighter. And uh, so what's, what's next for you? Just to try and continue the, the advocating. Um, as long as I can, and I am losing that battle now. Um, it's getting harder and harder to keep up, keep the website up, keep addressing stories, because they're every day. You know, there's, there's, there's not a day that you don't go to these groups and somebody's coming in, coming in with some disaster story. And so the, the idea is I have to try and educate them as much as I can to prevent them from ending up like me. And, and part of the problem with that is, is we're so trained, we're so brainwashed 
to believe that only those who, who wear a white coat really know what's going on, that's a big mistake. Because there's a lot of people like Tina Gomes and me and Susan Chinezzi and all these people, all these advocates in these groups who've all been harmed, who are all out there, you know, trying to change things, trying to bring awareness, trying to doing the research, you know, coming up with the validations that you need. You know, and, and my basic premise is remember galvanism. Remember that what is placed in your mouth absolutely makes a difference on your whole body. And, and one thing I can stress with this is the, if I can make a comparison that would make people think, it's with organ donation. So let's say you need a kidney. In order to get that kidney, you need a patient who is the same blood type, the same tissue type, and even then, you will still prophylactically take medication for the rest of your life so that you don't reject that organ. Well, the device industry just puts all these alloys together, you know, whatever. Oh, we, we don't want to put all, all titanium, that's too expensive. Let's cut it with some aluminum and some chromium cobalt and beryllium or whatever metal we can pack in there to put more on, the, on, on our end, the dollar end. And they put this device in you and send you on your merry way. No blood levels, no medication, no long-term, you know, keeping score, you know, what's going on. And then you go into it and you go, I'm in pain, I'm having memory problems, I'm having vision problems, I'm having this, that, and the other. Never heard of it. Must be the only one. Must be you. Must be something you're doing. And then you hear Dr. Towers on the bleeding edge say, if it hadn't happened to him personally, he would have never believed it. So you got all these doctors who take the information from the device manufacturers, they don't research it, they, don't, they just take their word as gospel and they put this in your body and you're supposed to be good to go. It doesn't work that way. We, we are an organism. What you put here is going to affect everywhere. You replace, a, you replace your, your wrist, your shoulder, your hip, your knee, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where in the body you put these toxic metals, you're going to react. How do I know this? Because not only do I follow the, the joint replacements, I got involved with Eshore Contraceptive. And what really sparked my curiosity was, why are all these people who have a contraceptive in their female parts, all, not all, but a good majority having dental problems. Why all of a sudden are you having dental problems? Why are you having rashes under your ring? 
under your bracelet, your anklet. Why is there rashes all over your hands or in your body away from where the actual device is? And it was consistent. So that's why I'm starting to tell people, I don't believe that you can put a metal in a human body or, or an alloy, a combination of alloys that you know is toxic, that you know is reactive, and think that nothing's gonna happen. Not only that, but you diminish the validation that you're getting from your patient who's telling you something's wrong. There's no better advocate for a patient than yourself. And they don't listen. It's you. It's got to be you. You have to be the problem. Well, that's not true. That is absolutely not true. And don't you buy it. If you instinctively know there's something wrong, do the research. Do your due diligence. Don't listen to them. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on with this. Okay. This comes from a government website and i'm going to read this because it's, it's it's very important since 1995 these facts have been available but ignored overload rather than component design is the primary factor in the majority of prosthetic and implant failures Safeguarding the long-term integrity of the restoration should be a shared responsibility involving the patient the health, and the healthcare team. As oral implantology develops at a seemingly exponential rate, it is extremely important to keep abreast of the latest advancements. So what I want to take from that is to tell people, when you venture into a dental restoration, make sure they explain the restoration from start to finish. Had I known this system was called a passive system, had I understood what passive meant in 2005, I would have absolutely made him fix it. I would have absolutely called him out. I didn't know. I did not have informed consent. I didn't even know the manufacturer of this device until I demanded it. So very important patients listening, wanting to have dental work, understand galvanism. Go to the empowerment page on my website, the very first link, the potato clock. Read the article review the video, understand what galvanism is and how important it is before you go to that dental office because he's going to sell you on whatever he can to get you in and you don't want to end up like me. So that my motto on my website is learn from my mistake. Don't become one. Well, those are wise lived experienced words. Thank you so much, Deanne, for sharing your story, um, as traumatic as it's been. But 
You're also making meaning out of it and creating a space for other people that have had your experience to find support. So that is incredibly important. I, I, I just want to tell people my website is there. The Empowered, the Empowered Patient has tons and tons of useful information. Take advantage, learn about metals, learn about your anatomy. And, and again, if you feel, if you've got an instinct and it's telling you something, follow it. Don't take their words as gospel. Wow. Uh, a big thanks to Deanne for sharing her story, as difficult as it was, and for the advocacy work she's doing for the people in the dental community who have been harmed. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And to end this episode, let's listen to Deanne Merchant sing Light My Fire. Deanne asked me to share, and I'm, I'm going to quote her here. Please explain that I was nearing my end musically due to the struggles of playing and singing. It is suggested that due to the strings being metal, and not knowing what alloys were used, I could be reacting. It's more than obvious the trouble with my hands was becoming a huge problem, but I did my best to go with it. Thank you, Deanne. Okay, here we go. Yep, take five. See, every time he does that. <laughs>